right, everybody, welcome into another edition of uh, Bourbon Biscuits, Barn Burners. It's John Hadley, Tim Woodburn. I'm Chris Kerber. Glad to have you all with us. And fellas, let's get right at it. Actually, if I got I got a whiskey story to start the show. How about that? Can we start with that? Let's do it. Totally reverse yeah. it? Okay, so about a week and a half ago, I was meeting up a buddy for lunch. And he said, I tell you what, before we go to lunch... My my mother-in-law called and wants me to go over to their house and clean out my father-in-law's liquor cabinet. You know, it had, hadn't been cleaned out in a while. Just wanted to get rid of a bunch of old bottles and things like that. And, and, and his in-laws are in their 80s. So we said, okay, let's go do that. So we go over there and we do that. And in the process of doing so, in the process of doing so, they... Um, we start finding these old bottles. Like there were there were ports from 1963 and things in there. So we find a bottle and it's a there were two bottles of of whiskey and it was um two bottles of whiskey and it was called Honor Roll. One was open, the other one was open probably had maybe uh maybe a glass port out of it and the other one had hadn't been opened yet. All right, so we took all these bottles out most of them that we could and uh, I took the one that was slightly open, he took the one that hadn't been opened yet. And and so we're kind of holding this thing and I'm like, you know, and I open it up and it smells pretty good, but I didn't really have the guts to taste it yet. And didn't know exactly. And if you look at the, if you look at the bottle, right. It, and it looks old. And for the, for the fans of the podcast, I'll put a picture out there. Actually, I put a picture out on, on my social media. I put it out on my Twitter feed and my Facebook page. Well, anyway, so in doing a little bit of research, start looking around, start trying to figure out how to determine it. And there's numbers on the bottom of a bottle that'll tell you, kind of help you decipher when a bottle was manufactured. Sometimes you got to play detective when you're trying to figure out just how old a bottle of whiskey is, and it'll get you in a range. But there's also stamps on it. So these old stamps, well, on one of the stamps up near the top was like a Missouri liquor stamp, and it had the signature of the Missouri treasurer at the time. Well, you could make it out, and it was like uh, uh, Richard William or something like that. I don't remember off the top of my head now. So anyway, I looked the guy up, and he had he served two terms as the treasurer of Missouri, one in the early forties and one in the late forties. So we figured that at the absolute latest, this bottle of whiskey was bottled in nineteen forty nine, which would have been the last year of the guy's term, and easily puts you in the seventy year old range for this bottle. And you're thinking, okay, well it can't be all that good, right? So earlier in the week, I'm. Um, about to host and help host an event for Foundation Fighting Blindness. And I'm hosting this event with, with Jackie joyner Kersey and Ozzie Smith and Ozzie's wife, Yolanda. And the one of our team attorneys was on the call because he, he's a big supporter of it, and he loves whiskeys and bourbons too. So I say, hey, Mike, i got to show you this bottle, and I kind of showed it to him on the Zoom. And Ozzie's wife says, I dare you to drink it. No, I'm not going to. No, I mean, we're about to do this event in front of a whole bunch of people. No, and, and somebody, I don't know if it was her or Ozzy, goes, I double dare you. And I'm sitting there thinking, did I just get double dared by like Ozzy Smith and his wife, which might be one of the coolest dares you can get, right? If, if you're if someone that grew up in St. Louis. So I said, what the heck? Go ahead. And I tried it. Dude, it was fantastic. It was awesome. So for being 70 years old, and then so I sent I sent a picture of the bottle to a friend of mine that used to be with uh, with Jack Daniels, and, and he came back with even more history, not so much specific to this brand called Honor Roll, but history about how things, because it was distilled in one distillery, bottled by another, and distributed by another. He, he was talking about how these things are all jumbled up right towards the uh, end of World War II. So pretty well, fascinating here's experience. Thing. Here's the amazing thing, Herb, is that I've been studying more and more since we started doing this podcast scotches, whiskey, what, everything I can find, I read now. And what amazes me is that I, I've read a couple articles that says once you open up a bottle of whiskey, you should drink it within like two years. Some said like six months. This is phenomenal. And not only are you talking about 70 plus years later, but that it still tasted good. It, this, is, it, this is a phenomenal story to me. It's a hundred proof, and you figure it's going to have some kick. Maybe you could put out, you know, you're worried about it peeling the enamel off your teeth at this point. Like, what kind of hooch is it? Nope. I mean, this stuff was smooth, 
And and I, and uh, you know my buddy that was with Jack Daniels uh, at at one point he said he said he wouldn't be surprised if it was still pretty good because it looked like the cap and the seal was really strong and I guess that was the key there. But I got to tell and you, pretty cool to taste something you know it's a little, some some good whiskey that was about seventy years old. And and as a sidekick to this story, I kid you not, tomorrow I'm driving five hours from Lexington, Kentucky to see an old girlfriend of mine that I haven't seen in 25 years, and she's driving up from Roanoke, Virginia, and we're going to the Woodford Reserve Distillery uh, for, the first time, for her first time. Oh, all right, you got to bring some stuff back. We got to put an order in for you. We got to put. <laughs> well, going to the visitor center. They're not. They're not giving tours, but the visitor center is open. That's that's the best bourbon I've ever had in my life. Oh no! Well, we've talked about that one on this podcast actually, and that have that. That's the bourbon that that. My wife tried it, liked it really well, and she started making that drink I told you guys about on a previous podcast, The Godfather. Mm-hmm. But, right. but, but pretty cool. So there's another bottle of Donovan Irish whiskey, and I haven't been able to nail down the age of this one yet, but we're thinking it's early 70s. So we're trying to figure that one out. So I'll save that one for another edition of the podcast. But that, that's kind of cool when you come across something old and then you start to play a little Sherlock Holmes on it. It's kind of some fun there. All right, so normally we save those stories for the end, but I was pretty excited about that one. So we kicked can off this I, week's edition. I, yeah, go ahead. Can I interrupt again? I'm sorry. Can I interrupt? Yeah, fire. Are you a can't? I, I just got to know because you've got me into You know how I am when it comes to research. Yeah. So you've got me into this stuff. I haven't tasted anything yet because as a diabetic, I got to be careful. But I, I have to know, are you a canter guy or not? <sighs> Well, it depends. I mean, it depends on what you're drinking, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, there's no question. But, I mean, I, I just I see these debates going on between people in different articles as to whether or not anything should be put into a canter because how uh, does the canter actually store it properly and does it lose any zest? So here's what I do, depending on what it is, like – so, like Tim just mentioned, Woodford being his absolute favorite, okay? And since that's the one Christy had, we I poured a bottle into one, so it's kind of on display, and, and she uses it, and, and that kind of thing. But you're right, it's not going to be sealed real tight the way you top it. So, something like something like the stuff I was just talking about, no. If it's something you're drinking on a fairly regular basis, and, and you kind of pour it, and there's, there's part of the display aspect to it, I'd say absolutely. Gotcha. Absolutely. Gotcha, because there's... It's it's interesting you're reading stuff because like cream dement and stuff you got to drink that pretty quick. Yes, you you can't let that sit around. So, well, you know what? I'm prolonging the conversation despite your will, but you're the one who got me into this, so came on you. <laughs> no, I like it. Hey, God, we could do a whole show on this stuff. I'd be happy. I'd, I'd I'd be just fine with that. We actually have an event coming up. PNC Bank is a uh, really terrific sponsor of the St. Louis Blues. They probably activated for their clients almost better than anybody. Uh, any sponsor that the Blues have. And uh, we've got an event coming up in a couple of weeks where we're doing a Woodford tasting with them. So they're bringing some clients in. They're bringing somebody on for, with, with Woodford, and we're going to do a tasting and kind of a, a joint function. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, that'll be some fun. But uh, All right, so anyway, that's that's the bourbon story of the week, but that's a phone. If you see an old bottle of Honor Roll, go ahead and try it. And Well, good luck finding it, first of all, because like I said, I know these, this bottle at least dates back to 1949 at the – latest possible date that it could have been it still could be mid 40s but that part's hard to figure out all right fellas let's jump into some hockey now 10 minutes into the podcast uh, the blues have won three games in a row and uh, i'd say that lessens up the tension but the way i look at this week and 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 again when we do a podcast week to week you, you've got to just take things in in those segments that they're in it's been a good week for the st louis blues they've done exactly what they needed to do and they've picked up the first three wins on this road trip that's how i look at it well i have to start out by saying i feel vindicated because once again zach zach stanford has proven me correct he's proven me correct with his inconsistencies but in a few moments of a few games over the last couple of days, you have to stand and applaud because my assessment of what he can be and should be has certainly shined through over the last 180 minutes of hockey. 
I, I had to think of John Hadley and John Hadley only last night when I'm listening to John Allers, who's a friend of mine, and he's the television voice of the Anaheim Ducks. The game was on NBC Sports last night, and I'm watching his call. And when Sanford scored his power play goal, Allers said something to the tune of, and the Ducks just cannot handle Zach Sanford. <laughs> and I mean, that's, that's something, that's something, all joking aside, that's something that we should hear more often. He has the natural athletic ability. He has the size. I mean, this is what we should see out of Zach Sanford. This is what the coaches see. But unfortunately, we only see it on a seasonal basis. And I'm not talking about a hockey season. I'm talking about winter, fall, summer, spring. Well, we have seen him show that he's got the ability to put a longer stretch together. So let's hope this is the beginning of what becomes one of those 20, 25 game consistency runs. Not to the tune of getting seven points every three games. I, I'm not saying that. But but just the effectiveness of it. And when Craig Berube praised him, he talked about the fact that he was holding on to the puck more. He was battling harder for it and he was making plays with it. And that... Guys, that is exactly what we've been talking about on this podcast. That's what the coaches have said that this team is needed to play the system that they want to play in. And to do that, you've got to get the scoring from those guys. So for at least this current week, they've gotten what they've needed to get from those guys to make a difference. And man, has it made a difference. But yeah, that uh, Tim, I have to confess too. I'm watching these last three games. I'm calling these last three games. And the doggone shame of it is every time Sanford would get a point or a goal, I'm thinking of John Hadley, too. <laughs> I mean, I, I could not be happier with what I'm saying. Because let me tell you something, Curbs. From your lips to the good Lord's ear, this guy goes on a 20-25 stretch like this, this team's in great shape. I'm not expecting him to, but I mean, the fact of the matter is, if we just get if we get this Zach Sanford 65% of the time, instead of the other Zach Sanford 35% of the time, we'll be in great shape. This hockey team, that's right. Whether you're listening to this in Canada, China, or Florida, I said we because I'm a blue through and through. And if you don't like it, take a long walk on a short pier. And this team's going to win the Stanley Cup again, in part because of Zach Sanford, baby. <laughs> <laughs> It's what I love about you, John. I mean, you can be as hard on somebody as possible, but at least you give them credit when they've earned it. Oh, he's earned it, man. He he stopped what could have been an ugly West Coast road trip. Tim, you know who has also really stepped up in these last uh, three games? And I think, again, this is partially because he got healthy, and that is Marco Scandella. There's been so much weight on the shoulders of Justin Falk, and we're still kind of watching Tory Krug mesh into the system with everything going on here versus how things are played in Boston. But Marco Scandella has had a really big three games. He's led in the toughness category, and he's really helped shut some things down defensively. And, and when you look at the trends of time on ice, as the Blues injuries have mounted, no one has had his ice time elevated to the percentage of Marco Scandella, who was playing about 15 minutes a game is the, the first 10 games of the year, and now he's averaging about 24 minutes a game. You know, Shannon's had to bump up his minutes from about 16 to 21. Dunn and Sunkvist have also, you know, gotten to that 20-minute category was they were in the teens before that. But Scandella is playing monster minutes and, and well-deserved. I mean, the guy two games ago loses teeth, and I don't even think he left the bench, did he? I mean, he, nope. I, I realized uh, he, he might have walked down, but hard to tell on TV. Well, he was right back in the game. Right, yeah, he didn't miss that. a shift. That he didn't do. And that's, I mean, that's just a, a classic story of, of National Hockey League toughness. It's why it's my favorite sport in the world. There is, there is still something amazing, isn't it? When you come back from a TV commercial and they have video of the captain of the team, the trainer of the team, and two other players bent over in the corner looking for somebody's teeth. Oh, yeah. No doubt. <laughs> You know, what's, 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 what's amazing about uh, Zach Sanford's turnaround as well, just a, one final thought on him, is the Blues' woeful power play, one of the big changes that Craig Ruby has made. I mean, when, we, when he was healthy, Jaden Schwartz was our net front presence. He was our tip-in guy. And, and then when he got hurt, it was, it was O'Reilly for a while. Now, Craig Ruby has made the decision to put 
the two biggest forwards on the team in front of the goalie on the power play in Zach Sanford and Oscar Sundquist, and both of them have flourished during this three-game road trip as a result of that decision. Well, and look what happens. That leads into the power play. The power play finally 100% completely won you a hockey game last night. And they needed it. Can you explain something to me? Like, okay, I I remember Dallas Eakins, a former St. Louis Blue, when I was doing the games in in Springfield, Massachusetts, he played for us a little while there. got to know him a little bit. Terrific guy. And the way he treated people in Edmonton spectacularly, the same thing. You talk to to Steve Carroll out in in Anaheim. You talk to some other people around that organization and, and just treats people so well. I almost, I feel bad for him at this point. Because you look at the situation he went into, which I don't think was an attainable, winnable situation in Edmonton, and that's played out over several coaches, including one of the greatest in NHL history and Ken Hitchcock, right? And then, then he goes down. He, he does a great job with the San Diego Gulls. They, and, and then his next chance is on a declining Anaheim team where Troy Terry hasn't stepped up and filled in a gap. Adam Henrique was put on waivers a week or so ago because his lack of performance has been there. Because they have no other options, they've got to put Ryan Gitzloff as their number one center. And and I absolutely love this guy, but at this point in time in his career, he is not a number one center. But that just shows you how doggone good and great he's been and what I think has put together a Hall of Fame career, right? You've got Kevin Shattenkirk. Again, another terrific guy, but what we've seen in St. Louis and in New York, that in you, when you have to play Kevin Shattenkirk in a number one or number two role, he gets exposed a bit. That's why he was so good and successful in Tampa and why he helped them win a Stanley Cup. He wasn't in that role. You put all that together, and you're going, man, is Dallas Eakins not a good coach, or is this just some bad luck? And i got to tell you guys, so far, I, I don't know that it's a fair assessment of his coaching ability with the teams he's had, but I throw this at you. After the St. Louis Blues through the first three games have pretty much abused John Gibson, and your backup goaltender, Ryan Miller, who's got 750-plus career games in the National Hockey League, has only played five games, and Gibson has played 18, somebody's got to try and explain to me why, if you're the Anaheim Ducks, you didn't put Ryan Miller in, in that game last night instead of John Gibson. I didn't get it. Yeah, and that's... And- and I've seen a couple games this year that Gibson was spectacular. But, I mean, that's just – that team is tough to watch. It really is because, one, they really do lack a sense of excitement. They seem lethargic at times. They seem disorganized at times. And I don't know. I, I do believe that uh, attitude over a period of time can permeate an organization making it tough for anyone to really overcome. Uh, I, I, I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm sort of surprised. Now we'll see because they, they have some talent still coming through the pipeline. We'll see what happens. But right now, that's just a, uh, that's a tough team to watch. Kirk. I was blown away. Speaking of Ryan Getzlaff, I was blown away when I read in yesterday's media notes, which the Blues PR guy Dan O'Neill sends out, you know, before each and every game, there was a stat in there that it, it's hard to blow me away on a stat, but this stat is, is worth repeating. Ryan Getzlaff is tied with Wayne Gretzky and three other players for the NHL record for most consecutive seasons, leading the team that he played on in assists. If he were to lead the Anaheim Ducks in assists this year, he would break the all-time NHL record in that category. And that includes the great ones, and Lemieux, and, and all, all the other ones that, uh, that we've seen come through. That blows me away. That's how consistent and good of a player he's been. I, I think he's, you know, obviously in, in the deep twilight of his career, I wouldn't be surprised if this is his last year. As the Ducks are clearly in a rebuild, and, uh, and Curve, as you said, he's a Hall of Famer, but he has been a terrific player to watch when he was on a line with Corey Perry and Bobby Ryan, which it's rare that three right-handed shots play on a line together. Quick, think of another line in the NHL now that does that. It's just, it's just weird that they have three right That was one of the most dominant lines in the NHL I've ever seen. All of them were big, all of them were fast, and they could all hit, and they were all mean. That was one of my favorite lines of all time. Guys, I'm going to tell you this. So Ryan Getzloff this year, is he's 35 years old right now. He's an unrestricted free agent at the end of this season. All right? So 
you're looking at a guy, especially with expansion coming in Seattle. All right, so you're going to have a whole nother round of jobs. This this is the last year of an eight year contract. So I, I think another another thing to mention here is it's always great to see when when one of these eight or nine year contracts actually is seen through to fruition. But I'll go, I'll go to one of the uh, one of the all time great guys in the game, and obviously a legend in the Arizona organization. And that's Shane Doan. The reality of it is is Shane Doan never should have finished his career with the Arizona Coyotes. They, they wanted to trade him a couple of times towards the end of his career. They were going into rebuilds. He was just loyal. He was happy there. He wanted to see things through there. And and there is something to be said for that. But I wish beyond wishes that Shane Doan had gone somewhere else, revived his career a little bit more, and maybe even won a Stanley Cup or gone on some deep runs, which never happened in Arizona. Now, yeah, look, Ryan Getzloff has gone on some deep runs. He, he did get to go to a Stanley Cup final, did get to win a Stanley Cup. Uh, they did have some other good playoff runs in there. So his cupboard is not bare like Shane Doan's was. But I, I, I really I have a hard time believing that Ryan Gitzloff finishes this year with the Anaheim Ducks, number one, because there's no reason that Anaheim this year cannot eat a whole bunch of his salary to move him to a team that could contend. And then honestly, guys, whether it be a one-year deal or a two-year deal after that, if Ryan Gitzloff wants to keep playing hockey and he's going to go to a team where they're going to use him in a third-line type role, he could still be a very effective player for you. He'd be a... Heck of a nice piece for a team to fit in for a, for a playoff run because you're, you're talking about a guy who at times has not only been a dominant force, a physical force, but a clutch player. And guys like that late in their careers have a tendency to, to find enough uh, gas in the tank for another glorious trip. That's last curves, if you're right, could be a very nice piece, maybe a missing piece, for a team that's going to enjoy a long, successful run in the playoffs. And, and while we're on that subject, a player who's currently on the Anaheim Ducks taxi squad, David Backus, I, I, w- I would love to see the exact same thing for him. I, I don't know what he has left to the tank. I don't know why Boston gave up on him when they did. Uh, I don't know why he's not been able to, to, to bust through and, and, and play even for a team it's in last place, like like the one there. I, I guess they figure this is a, a throwaway season. This is a developing season. But I, I'd love for him to have a chance to win a cup because, as we all know, he was on a certain Boston Bruins team that lost the cup. His one chance to play. You know, he was so fired up in that. So and 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 I I under I understand this. I mean, we had the way they had to spread out the broadcast booths in Boston when he when he was scratched for that Stanley Cup final game and walked past. You kind of knew not to even say hello. Like, at that point, that is not the time to say, hey, David, how are you? Um, I, I tend to agree with you, although, Tim, I will say this. You know, when, when he became a free agent, and the St. Louis Blues also had Troy Brower that, that was a free agent, so Bacchus ends up signing with Boston. Brower ends up signing with Calgary. Both, both guys, in the end, both guys, in the end, get bought out by those teams that signed them, Right. And mm-hmm. you just knew the the wheelhouse for the David Backus contract was a three year deal. I mean, we said that on the air at the time doing our our, our hockey shows that the wheelhouse is a three year deal with with for David Backus. And beyond that, you just wondered if the game from a speed standpoint was going to catch up. I, I thought he gave it his all last night and, and tried, but I I mean, in a fourth line role maybe. But what you're also seeing is these fourth line players need to have some speed to them. So. I unfortunately think for David Backus, it's just an end. It's it's just a speed thing, and in the end, you're going to look back and say you had a you had a hell of a career. I just don't know how much longer it gets extended, extended to the point of being successful without just hanging on to hang on. If that makes sense, it does. He's a, and he's a year older than Getzlaff. He'll be 37 in May, and, and Getzlaff is at 35. Um, you know, Getzlaff won a cup, but it was 14 years ago. So I right. guess in, in hindsight. You know, maybe he does say, I've got enough left in the tank to, you know, go to either an expansion team or to go to a, another team if, if Anaheim decides to move on. It'd be a shame if they did, but uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised. All right, I'm going to give you guys a name of somebody from a St. Louis Blues standpoint that I think needs to find another gear to really help this team. Mike Hoffman. As, as a player that has been around the National Hockey League like he has, as a player that has had the offensive success – this is the scenario where he should shine. 
And it's an intriguing situation to find yourself in at the age of 30, a COVID pandemic impacting the economics of the game. So the big contract offer that you would hope was be there wouldn't be there. You sign the one-year deal. Guys, this is when this is where you do it. And by the way, and Doug, we talked to Doug Armstrong. He's not disappointed in him. And I think he's, he goes, he's delivering exactly what we thought, a hired gun. We need a guy that in certain moments is going to go out and score goals. And and Tim, I, we had you on our This Week in Hockey program earlier in the week, and, and you and I and Joe touched on this a little bit. You don't need every single player to be the 200-foot Ryan O'Reilly player. But in this case, we do need Mike Hoffman to really help balance some of that scoring out. And, and it just feels like it's been a little too inconsistent from a threat standpoint. I don't expect every shot to go in. You're talking about a guy that's got 15, 16 points in 23 games. The, the total point total is there. I also don't expect him to hit the 30-goal plateau, one, because it's a shortened season, but two, the ice time on a deeper team is divvied up more so than the ice time on teams that he's been on. Having said that, with the injuries they have, man, can he end up being a difference maker for this team. It's an interesting topic to discuss because he's a guy who, again, you talk about Sanford being tricky. He's a guy who could go on a tear and make a huge difference. Now, I was talking to a hockey guy two days ago who told me uh, that he's not—he's not a—he's not the kind of guy who is going to be the leader, but he's a great supplemental piece. But the, you know, even even with that, and he's trying to explain to me that he's going to be a much better player when the Blues are at a hundred percent. Well, they they need him to be better than what he is now when they're not at a hundred percent. Bingo. To, to be a real factor, so I, I think it's interesting that you broke that broach that topic because you see a guy like Stanford pop up, you see a guy like Hoffman pop up, and that was, you know, guys like that. If you're going to have any symbols of confidence that the Blues' depth really matters. They have to step up in key situations to prove that that depth is legit. Well, good mood, bad mood, all things related to Mike Hoffman. In his defense, he he has the best plus minus of any forward on the team. Uh, and also in his defense, they've had so many injuries, and I don't know if he's been a guy that needs to play with the same players consistently to, to form a karma for him to be his most effective. But I don't know of anybody that's been bounced around with as many different line combinations on this team than Mike Hoffman. Uh, having said that, on the other side of that sense, this is a guy that was supposed to be a power play specialist who had dominant power play numbers uh, last year and all throughout his career, and he's played in 22 games this season, and he has one power play goal. I, I realize the power play in general has been a big bugaboo for the Blues before last night when they went 3-for-3, three three, elevating their total on the season to 12. But Mike Hoffman's special teams is, is the guy that I would concur with Chris in saying somebody that needs to ramp up their game specifically in that area is Mike Hoffman. So I wonder, is Mike Hoffman this year's, John, is Mike Hoffman this year's so far um, Justin Falk? Because I I think one of the things that hurt Justin Falk a season ago was exactly what Tim just said. And if we're going to be consistent in the breakdown of Justin Falk that way, I think it's fair to put the same thing with with Mike Hoffman here. Tim's right. He, He has... He has been on the top line, the second line, the third line. He's been on the right side. He's been on the left side. And he's had different people all the time. Coming into a situation that plays a system that you've never played before in your career, put all that together, it's still a positive that you've got the point total that you've got. I'd also add, uh, maybe backing Tim's point up here, you look at last night's game, for example, the Blues went three for three on the power play, but that second power play unit, which is the unit that Hoffman is on, they didn't get on until the second half of the third power play because the top unit scored on the first two. So his his power play minutes have not been up to the level just because of the way the Blues have the power play units set up that would necessarily lead to a ton of great success that way. Well, I will just put it to you this way. Uh, Jason Falk, or Justin Falk, I always considered, you know how highly I thought of him. I always figured he was a foundation piece. Mike Hoffman's a hired gun. Mike Hoffman scores goals. Mike Hoffman doesn't do much else. I don't care how many assists Mike Hoffman has. I care how many goals Mike Hoffman has. Mike Hoffman's not a creator. He's a finisher. And for the most part, over the last several weeks, how many goals does Mike Hoffman have? 
Well, he's had six all year. No, I don't care what he's had all year. I mean, basically, what he scored five of them in two games. Yes, yeah, I mean he had the, he had the two with the with the goalie pulled, but yeah, it hasn't been consistent. Is your point? Yeah, I mean I know he had two goals against Arizona in one game, so that means the rest of the season he's had four goals. So four goals in twenty one games doesn't do much for me. I don't care about his points; I care about his goals. And there's there's times again that he just completely disappears. Let me see, you know, at least have some glorious chances and luck's just not going your way. Or or, the, or or you just missed by an inch. I mean, there's times that he's not even a factor. Mike yeah. Hoffman is a, a is a purely natural, glorious goal scorer who is not showing that side of his game with any semblance of consistency this year whatsoever. Can you- Goalless in his last six and two in his last twelve, two since that Arizona game in which he had to. But you know, I, I say this when when you look at a YouTube video of Mike Hoffman's goals last year with the Florida Panthers, uh, 75% all throughout there are on set plays in which he receives the puck, he is given a dish, and he's able to, to, to cradle it, look at the goalie, pick his spot, and just snipe it right past him. You know, the Blues aren't scoring a lot of goals these days that way. As I said on the air last night with Chris and uh, Joey, prior to last night's game, the 10 even strength or shorthanded goals the Blues scored in the first two games of this road trip, at least seven of those were off the rush or quick entry goals in which they scored with, within five seconds of entering the team's uh, zone. Uh, and, and Hoffman is not one of these blazing guys who uh, is, has been on a lot of odd man rushes this year or, or rushes at all for that matter. You know, when he scored, it's been when he's been comfortable in his zone. And the Blues aren't scoring a lot of goals that these days in that fashion. Can you four guys believe in, in four goals in twenty one games? Other than that, two goals against Arizona. Mike Hoffman, you you don't bring you don't bring Mark McGuire to St. Louis to bunt and steal bases. You bring in a, uh, to hit home runs. Yeah, but Mike Hoffman, you bring in to score goals. I don't care if it's a new system. I don't care who he's playing with. If Mike Hoffman is not scoring goals. Mike Hoffman is at best at number 10 forward in this league. Yeah, but you're not overly worried about it because it's a one-year deal at $4 million bucks. But having said that, I sometimes don't... I'm worried don't... about W's right now, baby. I'm well, worried about W's right yeah, now. Yeah, I understand that. But but where I get concerned when it comes to goal scorers and offensive players is sometimes not how many games they've gone without a goal, but which which, by the way... I laughed my butt off today when I saw a tweet from Cam Jansen. I got to call him on this one, but um, one of the reporters yesterday after the game was kind of grilling Leon Dreisaitl about being in a bit of a drought, and Cam Jansen put out a tweet that just made me laugh out loud. He goes, try going an entire season without a point. Now that's hard. (laughs) I was talking talking to him today about that. (laughs) What a great tweet that was. What a great tweet. But but here's the thing. If you're get if a goal scorer is getting the chances, like go back to eighteen nineteen when Jaden Schwartz was snake bit pretty much all season long and then uncorked it in the playoffs for the Blues. He was snake bit, but good lord, he had chances on a regular basis every night. It just was one of the most bad luck scenarios I think I'd ever seen. I'm concerned when you're not seeing the chances come because a goal scorer is going to score when there's enough chances. When you're not seeing the chances. That's what concerns me, and that's what I said. That's what I said early in my breakdown with him. That's exactly. I mean, just disappearing, just not being a factor. I mean, your your example with Schwartz was at at times last year. Um, at times last year, I saw the same thing with Robert Thomas. Yes, you know, it's not like Thomas disappeared. It's just like, oh man, that was a good. That was a good opportunity. Oh man, he just missed. Da 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 da. You don't have that feeling right now with Hoffman. You don't. Well, last year in Florida, he averaged right at three shots a game. His previous two seasons, he was averaging a little over four shots a game. He's barely over two shots a game this year for the Blues. He's only had 55 shots in 22 games. You can't score hey, hey. Well, do, do you Bingo. think anybody's telling him don't shoot? No. Nope. No, he has no. to do a better job. What has to happen is, 
He's got to do a better job with his line mates of retrieving the puck and then getting in a position to shoot. But his game, his game is not the go get the puck out of the corner type of game. He's got to be, and that's where maybe if he stays with Sunquist a little longer, you start to see this. Sonny goes, gets it, and finds a way to get it to him. Um, but I think that I think that adds to the challenge that Tim started with, and that is the different line mates on both sides of the ice. He's been an excellent teammate and hasn't bitched, moaned, or groaned about any of it. Uh, but I, I think that has to be a factor here. Hey, I, let me uh, before we end the topic on the Blues stuff because I, I want to get into two or three things around the National Hockey League. One, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Montreal Canadiens, and um, and, and and maybe even the Nashville Predators here, but. Um, Vladimir Tarasenko is about to make his return, you know, and at the time of this taping, the Blues are on their off day right before their back-to-back games with the LA Kings, so we expect them probably sometime in the LA series, and if it doesn't happen, then it is going to happen in the San Jose game to wrap up this road trip, and I know a lot of people want to ask the question, what do you expect from him, what you, man, this guy, this guy has played such little hockey, in the last while, I mean, and think about this. And, and Jeremy Rutherford had this nugget, which I thought was great. Since the Blues won the Stanley Cup, Vladimir Tarasenko has two surgeries and only three goals. All right, so I mean, it just shows you how little that he has played, you know, really since since that time because of these injuries. Having said well, Jeremy, that, brother, go ahead, Jeremy Rutherford. First of all, I mean, I read that piece on Tarasenko today. That was a fascinating piece of journalism. He he took a three-doctor panel who did not operate on Tarasenko, and obviously the Blues haven't released information on what specific kind of surgeries they had, but they but they guesstimated and hypothesized as to what procedure he had based on what type of uh, play it was that he was injured on, and it, it was fascinating the way that they broke it down. And, you know, my concern is, in, 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 and the athletic website actually had video clips right. of the, the two plays where Tarasenko was hurt, you know, the, and, and the check by Walker for L.A. on him when, when Tarasenko had a, had a mini breakaway and he was caught from behind and he, he just kind of leaned on him. He didn't really hit him, didn't flash him, he wasn't shoved into the board. He just kind of leaned on him and Tarasenko immediately just dropped his arm and, and, and did a 180 and, and circled to the bench. And we haven't seen him. And we, oh, we saw him a couple games in the bubble and Edmonton in the playoffs, but we haven't seen him since. My concern is when he gets roughed up, you know, Yara Yager had one shoulder surgery, and he said it was it was miraculous that he was able to play with the pain that he had after having that one surgery. Tarasenko's had three. You know, all these doctors opined that they believe Tarasenko at 29 years old can still have a relatively healthy career because arthritis likely hasn't set in, and even despite these surgeries, he can do it. But one nugget from that piece that I didn't know that I know now, Tarasenko walked away from the St. Louis Blues medical team to have this most recent surgery. Uh, the, the, the Blues medical staff operated on the first two times. He doesn't think the second one was done right, and so he went and found a private surgeon for this last one. And I did not know that until today. Well, when he gets out on that ice, for me, one, I have little to no expectations for the first five to ten games. All I want to see is engagement level, the skating, and and can he, can he engage in the battles? Because a guy, look, as I've been watching him shoot when I've been able to see practices here. He still can snipe like nobody else that we've seen in the Blues in ages. So the shot is there. The question is, is can 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 the physicality be there? And that's going to take a little while. So I, a lot of people want to have expectations. I got to be honest with you guys. I have none for the first few because I'm just glad to see him out there trying to get going because it's been that long. I, that that's well, it's really that simple. I hope they play him with somebody that that he can perform with because it's like you know Doug Armstrong said you don't want to dress eleven and a half forwards. You want to dress twelve. The Blues started the first Anaheim game with a line of Karan, Shen, and Walker, for heaven's sake. You know, I mean, it, it, I, I think you have to elevate him and put him right with guys who are expected to lead this team offensively because that's, that's how he flourished his entire career. I'm just fascinated by the return because I think people tend to forget that it was just about, what, two, no more than three years ago that we were talking about this guy being one of the 10 best players in the world. Yep. I mean, so I think it's, I I think your assessment that expectations early should be, uh, should be limited and that there should be a realistic approach to this. By the same token, 
30 games from now, if this guy has found himself again, I mean, that's why, you know, last week, despite the disappointment, I'm still, I still believe in this hockey team as being a legitimate Stanley Cup contender because with everything that's gone wrong, it can't get much worse. And if it ever gets to the point where it's right, watch out. Yes. Watch out because this team at 100%, if everybody's clicking, is as good as anybody in this league. Okay. And, and, and one, ahead, last, one last thought on Tarasenko real quick. You know, we're dealing with uncharted waters here. I don't know of any other player in NHL history who's had three shoulder surgeries and then played after that. I, I, I can't think of any. You know, I, I wonder how cautious they'll be with him, maybe to analogize a baseball pitcher coming off Tommy John surgery and they put him in the bullpen and not back in the rotation right away. You know, does he play back-to-back nights? Uh, or, 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 or do they, you know, does he play one and then see how he feels? I mean, they're, they're having a back-to-back weekend with L.A. tomorrow and Saturday. Uh, you know, if he plays tomorrow, he's going to play Saturday as well. I'll be real interested to see how they manage this time on ice and who they play with. So I, was well, I think l- you bring up, a, I think you bring up a great point, Tim. And I'll take it one step further. How does Tarasenko limit himself? Because when Tarasenko, you know, he is a pure natural skill for the game. But when he, when he's at his best, he's one of the feistiest guys on the ice. He can pop people, and you say Hoffman doesn't go and get the puck. Tarasenko will go and get the puck. So I'm wondering, too, in addition to the point that you made, will Tarasenko level himself? Sometimes you've got to work your way back in. Sometimes you've got to be smart. As we like to say in the world of football, sometimes it's best just to get down or get out of bounds. I think early, especially early on, Tarasenko's got to be smart enough to realize, you know, there's a lot of hockey to be played. Hopefully there's a lot of hockey to be played in May and June. And he needs to get out of bounds or go down on the case. Tim, I could completely. I there obviously there would be a chance that he could play all three games and play three and four nights. But I agree with you. It, like it almost to me makes sense if he's ready to go play the first game in L.A. and then you give him two days off before you play in San Jose, and and you just see how the response is the next the two days afterwards the soreness and that kind of stuff. Um, I, I think that extra day off would be huge. That that seems to be like the fair formula for me. Um, I have a hard time seeing when you haven't played much that he has. The next thing you know, you're going to be playing three and four nights. That 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 almost seems to like it would increase the risk of some other kind of injury to me. To be honest with you, at at, at that point, but uh, we'll see. But it'll be great to see 91 back. And you know, just shoot, just for his sake, guys. He loves being around his teammates. He loves the game so much. I, I just hope he's successful when he gets back. I mean. Man, has he gone through a lot when you think of all that time. Holy cow. Um, how about this one? I looked this one up today, guys. So the St. Louis Blues right now sit second in the standings, right? With 28 points. Now they're fourth in the West in terms of points percentage. So follow me on this for a minute here. The Blues have also played 23 games more than any other team except for Anaheim in the in the division. Las Vegas right now still has one more game that needs to be rescheduled. They've only got 55 games on their schedule right now. So essentially between now and the end of the season, Vegas will never catch up to the Blues in terms of games played. All right? Minnesota. It's going to take until April 19th, game number 45 on the season before the Minnesota Wild and the St. Louis Blues have played the same number of games. So another 22 games. Colorado, same thing. They won't have played the same number of games as the Blues until April 16th. That's game number 44. Now, they'll be within one game played of the Blues by the end of March, but it's going to take half of April to still catch up. So you're talking about the fact that the standings are always going to look a little bit skewed for about another for about another month. Then I started thinking, okay, rooting interest here. We had every single team in the West Division play last night, all right? Right now, the Blues have the win. So, again, I look at two things when I look at the standings. I look at points, and then you look at points percentage in case something happens. The the COVID scenarios seem to have settled down a little bit in the NHL, so let's hope it stays that way. I'm getting more and more encouraged that we can get through to 56 games here. But if points percentage becomes a factor, the Blues right now have the fourth-best points percentage in the division. Colorado and Minnesota each are tied at 625, and Vegas is leading away handily at 763. If the Blues were to win tomorrow night, against the L.A. Kings, 
their win percentage would drop to 625. Or, I'm sorry, would jump to 625. If Colorado loses versus Anaheim tomorrow and Minnesota were to lose at Arizona, the Blues would have the second-best win percentage in the West Division. You're talking essentially, back to John's point about this team healthy and just finding ways, despite all the injuries, you are a one-win swing away from having the second-best points percentage in the entire division. I mean, sometimes you just got to look at things with a different perspective and realize it's not as bad sometimes as it feels, right? Well, not only do I agree with you, but depending upon how this three-game trip ends, it's a glorious start to the statement I made last week about survive March. Because my point I was trying to make and will continue to make is just get there. As Kelly Chase used to say, he never he, he he was not aware of any team that's ever won the Stanley Cup that didn't get to the playoffs. So just get there. And the fact is they're starting to build that gap between four and five, four and six, four and seven, so that they have that buffer going into April. And All I think right. that's imperative. Okay, that's so imperative. sorry, John, I'm gonna cut you off there because that leads to this next thing and I'll throw this at Tim. All right. The next 15 days could be enormous in this West Division. And here's why. The St. Louis Blues play seven of their next nine games where four will be against L.A., three against San Jose. They've got the two against Vegas in there. Colorado. Their next seven games are against Anaheim, Arizona, and Los Angeles. Minnesota. Five of the next seven games for Minnesota are against Arizona. So they're about to do close to what the Blues had to do earlier. The reason I say that, Tim, is from a rooting interest, when you look at the standings right now in this West Division, you almost, except for tomorrow, you know, where Colorado's playing uh, Anaheim, I believe it is. Uh, Is it Colorado? Yeah, Colorado's playing Anaheim. So root for the upset because Anaheim's not catching anybody. So root for the upset to give yourself a little room with Colorado. But the reality of it is, is if you root for Colorado and Minnesota over the next two weeks, and the Blues are successful in their seven games against L.A. and San Jose, you're looking at a situation by March 20th where you could have that real separation between one and four and five and eight. Yep. Yep, and that gives you the ability to focus on going from four to three, going from three to two. And, you know, I mean, it's at this stage curve, it's going to be real tough to catch Vegas. Oh, yeah. But – but getting that two hole, I still think is a, and and I would definitely love to have that. I, I don't care if there's fans in the building. I don't care about any. I, I would rather play a game against a team like Colorado in St. Louis than in Colorado. And that one game difference could make all the difference in the world. Well, Anaheim's only had two wins since February 1st, and one of them was when they shut out Vegas in Vegas. When you're only playing seven teams for an entire season, I said it before, and John chuckled, I'll say it again. Anybody in this division can beat anybody on any given night. And to John's credit, the Survive March team, I think, is an, is, is an excellent one because when you have injuries that I, I will argue are at least double, if not worse, of any other team in the division, and yet here you stand in position to make the playoffs, and admittedly your winning percentage is only fourth best in the division, and games played are going are gonna to be constantly in motion, as Chris just described. But when you're still in that position, Kelly Chase is right. Just get in, baby. Just get in. The year the Blues won the Cup, they finished third in their division. Just get in. All right, let's jump around the National Hockey League real quick. You know, the St. Louis Blues, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Winnipeg Jets, and the Tampa Bay Lightning, they're the only team, I apologize, uh, Carolina, not Tampa Bay, the only teams in uh, the National Hockey League with nine wins away from home. Actually, I just butchered that up, guys. So let me re- let me rephrase it because I looked at the wrong column. Toronto has nine wins away from home. Carolina has nine wins away from home. And the St. Louis Blues have nine wins away from home. The Blues have been pretty doggone good on the road. The Toronto Maple Leafs, with 38 points, are running away with that Canadian division, the Scotia North division. We've mentioned them earlier on in the season, maybe episode two or three, about just the enigma, like what are they going to do? 
Man, with a goal differential of plus 31, they have really started to figure this thing out. And I don't, I think you might have to make the case right now that you are looking as the Toronto Maple Leafs. And yes, I know their point total says that, but we dig a little bit deeper than that on this podcast. They're playing as the best team in the National Hockey League right now. When, when we talked, when we started this podcast, we, we talked about, it was before the season started, and we were talking about player rankings. And, and we were talking about McDavid 1, McKinnon 2, and, and John suggested that maybe McKinnon should be 1 and McDavid would be 2. I'm ready to throw out there that Austin Matthews is the 1. I, I, think, I think he's the most exciting, intriguing player in hockey right now on the best team in hockey right now. Now, from a talent standpoint, I think McDavid's speed and his overall uh, offensive abilities are better than Austin Matthews. But I'm telling you right now, I think Austin Matthews excites that team, leads that team, drives that team, and that's why I would place him from an intangible standpoint ahead of Connor McDavid if I was ranking players right now. Well, it's he doesn't even hard to him. argue with a guy who's scoring a goal a game, or basically a goal a game, and how he's almost a uh, a uh, an aura about him that, that has guys uh, – skating backwards about three seconds before he actually touches the puck. I don't think, at least for the time being, putting Austin Matthews number one is an outrageous statement. I, I think you make a great point. But I, I also, I'm, I'm sort of chuckling to myself, not laughing at you guys, laughing with you, because I, I almost was going to say the same thing about the Tampa Bay Lightning. Well, I mean, Vasilevsky's out of his gourd right now. Right. Both the Lightning and the Maple Leafs have picked up their games significantly. Significantly. And Toronto finally, finally, seemingly putting it all together, having had a very talented roster for the last couple of years, putting it all together, and Tampa proving that there's still life, there's still a, a bolt to go with that Lightning. I just ask, as the season know. goes on, I don't I know, more than Toronto, Toronto only Toronto only outscored Edmonton thirteen to one in a three game sweep. Do you really think they put it all together yet? <laughs> I mean, it's, I, and you know what? <laughs> it, 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 you know what? It wasn't that close. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? How about this one? So the Montreal a couple weeks ago, or was it last week that we were talking about Carey Price? And you know the Montreal Canadiens fired fired the head coach Mark Bergevin did, and I and I mentioned to you guys that look. I know it seems sacrilege because even the players around the league, when they do the player vote, they vote as Price is the best goaltender in the league. But numerically and in the tight situations, I, I just haven't seen it over the last few years. I'd, I'd, I'd say he's average. And Mark Bergevin, if if Mark Bergevin in any way is on the hot seat with the Montreal Canadiens, he's going out making sure he's done everything he can. And he's finally looked at this and said, okay, and longtime goalie coach and consultant Stefan Wade is out. Sean Burke comes in, and you can't blame him. Like, you look at the trends of the goaltending there. Jake Allen has been their best goaltender this season, not Carey Price. So uh, Mark Bergman making some big-time changes, trying to catch some lightning in a bottle, because I tell you what, there's no way. Like, like there's going to be some hell to pay somewhere in that division between Montreal, Calgary, and Vancouver when one of those three teams misses the playoffs, when two of those three teams miss the playoffs. Well, yeah. Kenny Price had, had a rough stretch where he gave up 14 goals in three games and got his coach fired. Uh, you know, he, he did. He, he played very well against Ottawa his last time out. He only allowed the one goal. Um, you know, I, I still think, regardless of the coaching change, I, I still think he's going to be a, a, a one and a half to one, or even maybe even a two to one ratio over Jake Allen, unless he just completely, uh, you know, preps the bed. I mean, you know, it's, it's he's having not a great year. Jake Allen's having a better year statistically, but you know he's 33 years old. They're paying him a ton of money. I, it, it, it's the city of Montreal, which is a little different than any other city in the league. I might add, their fan base is just a little more, eh, you know, than any fan base in the league. If I can go there, um, good luck benching him, and and they're not being an uproar in that city. Well, all I have to say in that regard is, I just hope Bergevin wins. I do. I'm pulling for him. I'm pulling for the guy. Yeah, that guy has put a smile on so many faces. It'd be great to see him win. 
How about, did you guys happen to watch that Washington-Boston game last night at all? Yes. Yes, I did. Okay. So in the second period, I think there's a total of like 13 total shots on goal at some point in time. But it was one of the most physically intense games you could watch. And I'm telling you what, Tim, you and I talked about this on This Week in Hockey over the air. Like, I'm so bummed out that Zdeno Chara didn't play his last game with the Bruins in front of Bruins fans and that he returned to Boston and didn't get a chance to get the ovation he deserved as a player. But, man, can you tell, can you absolutely tell watching that game last night that the Washington Capitals played for Zdeno Chara? What a game that was. Oh, it, it, it was, well, being an old school boy, some of the best baseball you ever watch. It's a two to one, three to two games. Some of the best football games you ever watch are fourteen to ten games. That that there there was not a goal through two periods, and not once, not once did I turn a channel. In fact, I went and got my iPad and put the Mizzou basketball game on the iPad. I mean that that was a fun fun hockey game to watch. And it's it's amazing to me, Curves. I mean, you're, we haven't even talked, and you're just picking my mind because I'm thinking to myself, that's probably as intense a regular season game as I will watch all year. And Ovechkin, Alex Ovechkin today got fined the NHL maximum for spearing a guy in the game last night. He didn't even get a spearing penalty on the play. So I'm a little sorry I missed it. <laughs> That that game was every bit as tense as, as anything you'd ex, you'd have seen this season from the ba- uh, the Battle of Alberta. It was awesome. I mean, you didn't have to have the fisticuffs and all that, but but that was awesome. Is there any team have, that is? Uh, go ahead, Tim. Just real quick, I, one of the coolest things that I ever have that I have as a piece of memorabilia. And I'm not a big memorabilia guy, but when Zdeno Chara was 19 years old and he was on the Kentucky Thoroughblades as a member of the New York Islanders organization uh, 20-some-odd years ago, we had – we had the, the team was called the Thoroughblades, but we had we actually had cheerleaders. It was a dance team. We called them the Thoroughbades, and we'd bring out this huge carpet <laughs> onto the ice, and they would dance in unison, kind of like the Golden Girls at Mizzou. They didn't cheer during the games like like college basketball girls do. We just had them, like, dance, like, you know, three times a month. They were really incredible. They were the University of Kentucky – uh, dance team. That's a that's a sport actually in, in college athletics. And uh, Zidane, I got I convinced Zidane Chara. He was such a nice guy, an incredible guy. Uh, I convinced him to put on in full uniform and go out onto center ice in Rough Arena, where UK plays basketball, and lay down on the logo at center ice in 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 like one o'clock to seven o'clock fashion, with his arms up over his head and his and his toes stretched out as far as he could. And it took us four thoroughbades to complete the top line of the Z and the bottom line of the Z, while Zdeno was the horizontal, was the angular line in the Z. And we took a photo from the rafters of Rupp Arena, like looking straight down on center ice. And, and, I, and I have that photo hanging in my house to this day. That is the I forgot about your cheerleaders being called the Kentucky Thoroughbades. Yeah. Yep. Not that that was the point of your story. I'm just saying. I forgot. No. Yeah, <laughs> oh man. Hey, you know what? One of these shows, maybe next week or one of these up, uh, we got to we got to do an around the NHL one because uh, we're running out of time here. We we want to cut it off, but we th- appreciate everybody joining in on uh, bis- uh, bourbon biscuits and barn burners. And but I'll tell you, you, look around the league right now. The Winnipeg Jets are becoming a threat with Connor Hellebuck going on. In the other division, Chicago's still getting it done. Nashville is in some deep doo-doo, and organizationally, they're in a really, really bad spot. The Nashville Predators right now are in the spot where the St. Louis Blues were in prior to January 7th of 2019, where you got to make a decision on what direction it's going to go. The Blues, of course, caught lightning. I don't think Nashville can. But the Dallas Stars can't get anything going. You look in the other division, you're actually not surprised at all by anything in the Mass Mutual East other than what's what... The players are almost shameful with the Buffalo Sabres right now. I can't even figure out how to put that one into, into terms. So, man, there's a lot of other NHL stuff we just got to sink our teeth into one of these weeks. And, you know, at some point in time with all the teams we've discussed, we need to at least maybe next week we'll see how they do. We need to pay a little homage to Carolina. Is that, that's, 
they're they're playing with the they're continuing to play with the grit of their coach and Trocek. Let me tell you something. There's another guy that deserves a little attention. He's yeah, making big good. plays in big games this year. Boy. Carolina's a team to keep an eye on. Uh, next, I mean, a lot of the Blues of two years ago, because there's not really a star player on the team, there's just a lot of really good players turning them into a really good team. Well, let's do that. Next week, let's jump around this league a little bit more and hit a bunch of these teams on what's surprising us. Uh, we can even go team to team and get just get your guys' thoughts on what you're seeing. How's that sound? Very nice. All right. Have an awesome week, guys. Hey, listen, if, if you're out, listen, if, if you're going out and about, and you, John, I, I know you're at the age now where pretty much during your free time on Saturday mornings, you're scouring garage sales and stuff like that. You find any old bottles of whiskey, let us know. <laughs> oh, there's no doubt about it. You can drink a 70-year-old bottle of whiskey. Do not drink 70-year-old milk. No, no, that's a good, that's a, okay, if you have 70-year-old milk and it's still liquid, then it's not milk. There is something else wrong. <laughs> there is something else wrong. Boys, have a great week, will you? Sounds good, thanks. All right, that's Tim Woodburn, that's John Hadley, I'm Chris Kerber, and thank you for taking the time to download the podcast on any one of the podcast platforms and making us a part of your week. It's Bourbon Biscuits and Burn Burners. We come your week every single week. Have a great weekend, have a great week, and we'll talk to you again next week.